Picture an old Irish guy with a stick and a ball. He tried to figure out how to hit that ball into the hole. Therefore, golf and swearing was invented. Stay tuned for a fun, lively discussion about how to turn the four-letter word of golf into a three-letter word. Welcome to Therapists in Motion podcast, brought to you by Spooner Physical Therapy. Welcome back to Therapists in Motion podcast. It's Dan again. I am joined today with Brian Schulte, a fit trainer from Scottsdale, a former assistant teaching professional and current fellow of applied functional science and functional golf specialist. Welcome, Brian. Thanks, Dan. Great to be here. So some of you who are frequent listeners may have heard Brian previously as he assisted with us in our 25th episode of the Trivia Night. Uh, Brian was the voice in the background, pleasantly keeping uh, score for us, including... Meticulous partial, score at that. Partial points and third of points yes. and of points due to our lovely competitors uh, attempting to answer our trivia questions. But, you know, we decided to bring Brian in today. Um, you might think, well, this is an odd time to do a, a podcast on golf in the middle of the winter in the majority of the country, um, but it's actually the perfect time to talk about golf. So many of our patients who are golfers, ourselves that are golfers, show up hit the ball, say a few words, get in their cart, have a couple social beverages, and then go home. Some feeling great, some feeling frustrated. But what I kind of want to talk about with Brian is how we can help ourselves and how we can help those people during the non-playing months start to prepare their bodies on how to move um, when they can't hit a golf ball, and how they can start to move before uh, they play a rain, you know, play play a game, play a match, um, or are even just out on the practice range. Mm-hmm. So let's start just a little bit of your evolution with how you got to where you are today. Just give the listeners a quick uh, down low, since you haven't been formally on too many podcasts with us and haven't had really a chance to introduce yourself to to the world that uh, of our listeners. Yeah, I've, I've been in the background of a lot of podcasts. I've been there for the filming of a lot of podcasts, but uh, I haven't actually been the, the active voice in a podcast yet, so it's it's good to be here. Uh, my journey started when uh, I was a high school golfer, you know, competitive high school golfer growing up in the Metro Detroit area. Uh, went to college and uh, fell in love with teaching the game, actually. Uh, I got involved with a, a golf fitness certification called TPI, which we may get to today, we may not, since we're both pretty familiar with that program. But through TPI, it was my introduction to golf from an anatomical and body standpoint. So, you know, I started learning how the body combines with the swing, and I just kind of ran off with that. So, with my experience there and my experience in junior golf, I uh, started running the Junior Golf Academy at the Boyne Golf Academy in Northern Michigan, where I was the director of the Nike Junior Golf Program there. I was the director of fitness. You can kind of put on whatever hat you want, but essentially I was a teaching professional working with both younger athletes and older athletes. Um, from there, I went down to the Dallas Athletic Club uh, where I was a dual movement golf professional there. Uh, went back to Michigan, did more golf for a little bit. Uh, I did my fellowship program that you and I spoke about through the Gray Institute and many of our guests have either been Gary Gray himself or gone through the fellowship as well. 
And then um, pretty close to my four-year anniversary here at Spooner Physical Therapy, actually. That will be uh, Saturday will be my four-year anniversary here. So to me, my entire evolution into this movement world has been through the lens of golf. And ultimately, blending the two worlds together is is my passion in, in this profession. Well, yeah, you definitely have a level of expertise that people we encounter don't usually have. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're, we're blessed to have you here at Spooner and, and, and partaking in this, this podcast today with us. Um, so let's kind of talk about what we should start to think about with our patients or clients who play golf and how to prepare their bodies to go through that golf swing. Mm-hmm. Um, and let's first look at it from they're not going to have the ability to play for, let's say, the next two to three months due to weather. Sure. Been there, done that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, whether it's actually just working on your game. I mean, when I was growing up, we would hit balls in the dome, uh, which was the only way you could really effectively swing a club and, and actually watch the golf ball fly in Metro Detroit this time of year. But ultimately, it was the time that you could work on your body because for us, the summer is go time. You want to be playing as much golf as you can. So now when you're busting out the skis, maybe uh, it's the time that you can make those changes to your body without maybe throwing something off. Or maybe it's a time to start a grip change or, you know, something that otherwise you wouldn't want to do to hinder your performance. Now, I would say usually with what we do we're not really hindering performance. We're helping it. We're giving people more motion. We're helping them get out of pain. So it's not really going to throw them off too much, but now they have the time to dedicate to it. And this is when we can start making those changes to their body that will benefit them once they do pick up the club back in the spring or in the summer. Yeah. I think, you know, I, I think it's important for our, for our listeners to realize that while Brian has the knowledge of, of being able to teach the game of golf, the majority of us, myself included, don't have that knowledge. So, you know, I want to preface anything that we may get into that it's always important if you have a, a patient or a client who is a golfer and they have a swing coach that you work closely with the swing coach to mm-hmm. ensure that you guys are, are doing similar things with similar goals um, and that you may need to rely on that swing coach to then give them a drill once you've given your patient a little bit more motion. Now, I think we'll, we will probably get to, you know, patients that need motion versus patients that need maybe more some strength and stability. Um, but I would say the majority of people that we're probably working with are probably on the older spectrum of golfers who, who need motion. So, you know, you mentioned something about, you know, by us helping them move, it doesn't hinder their game. It actually helps their game. Right. So can you just kind of walk us through uh, a couple commonly missed things in the golf swing? You know, perhaps it's it's at a, 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 a backswing position and they've lost one plane of motion that's important mm-hmm. that then is going to cause possible either swing faults or pain after a round or pain at that 18th hole or 15th hole, but it's really due to something in the backswing that maybe they've lost one of the three combined motions. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll get to that, but you know, I'd step back and say, well, you know, for some of you listening, maybe you've played golf or you're familiar with golf, but there's probably a population of you listening that really have never played golf and don't really know what it is. And just as I would hope any of us would do with any athlete, you know, if I've got somebody that plays 
uh, cricket. Well, I've never played cricket before. And so if I've got a patient that comes in and they're a cricket player, guess what I'm going to be doing on YouTube that night? And I'm going to be looking at cricket and the biomechanics of it and how the game works and what planes of motion it occurs in. And I'm going to study it the best that I can. So if you're somebody that doesn't quite understand golf yet, pull up a YouTube video of a golf swing, you know, pull up a top 10 list of PGA Tour professionals, your Tiger Woods, your Justin Rose, your Rory McIlroy, your whoever it may be, just go through a list of the most prominent golfers in the world right now and just study their swings. And what's beautiful about the golf swing is there's so many differences in the golf swing, but there's also a lot of similarities. And it's not our jobs as movement professionals to pick apart what's right and wrong of where they're swinging the club and, you know, but for us, it's just flip open your kinesiology textbook from long ago or dig into your biomechanical part of your brain and simply sit there and say, what motions of the body are occurring when they show me their golf swing? Okay. So the, I'm a right-handed golfer. I take my club back and what happens to my right hip? Well, the simplest one to see there is internal rotation. So if I'm a movement practitioner, I'm going to look at that hip and say, hmm, is that getting enough right or internal rotation into that right hip? Well, let's see. He takes the club back. I get some right thoracic rotation there. And because golf is a kind of an angled sport where they're playing on the ground as opposed to baseball, which is pretty horizontal, they got to rotate their spine to the right and they've got to tilt it to the left. Now, again, this is assuming a right-handed golfer, a lefty would be flipped the other way. So, okay, they're going to need some right thoracic rotation. They're going to need some left thoracic side bend. Does my patient in front of me display adequate motion in those positions? So honestly, you don't have to know much about the ins and outs of the game. You just got to know the ins and outs of studying the body in motion, which I mean, we're movement practitioners. That's what we should be able to do. Yeah, I think that that's huge right there for our listeners. So he gave you three crucial things to look at in two major joints, right? So looking at, again, assuming it's a right-handed golfer, they take the, their club back into the backswing. Does their right hip have enough internal rotation capabilities? Yes or no? I would highly encourage you to look at that with their feet on the ground. Mm-hmm. Why? Because that's the position that they're going to simulate when they are playing golf. Right. Not to say that you can't look at it on the table in a, a quote unquote open chain, but looking at it closed chain is highly important. Second component, it's really second and third components. Brian mentioned the combined motion of right thoracic rotation and left thoracic side bend in the frontal plane or left lateral flexion. I would say if I think back to my my journey through being a PT professional, probably that frontal plane motion, that mm-hmm. side bend is the one that I probably didn't look closely enough right. at. I, I felt fairly confident looking at that right hip internal rotation and that mm-hmm. right thoracic spine rotation, but that left, being able to get that kind of that left shoulder down a little bit for lack of a better term or phrase, right? That's probably something that I had missed probably over the first five years of looking at people play golf and watching them swing. Yeah. So I I think those are some really crucial points for our, for our listeners, whether they know golf or not, like you said, I think that's a great tip for if they don't know golf to start watching, you know, even brief snippets. And you know what, Brian and I probably today aren't going to talk really about the training component and what all, because there's endless possibilities on how 
you could start to beget more motion in any of those things. And, mm-hmm. and at the end, we'll give a little bit of a, of a props to the, the kind of the two main avenues of people to, to, to pursue if they're interested in learning more about golf. But anything else you want to speak to on the, on the backswing position, you know, as far as movement qualities and things for our listeners to really look for? You know, I, we could go on and on about the particulars of the swing, but you know, my, I'd say the two biggest body parts you're probably going to want to look at are going to be thoracic spine and hips. Um, but you know, even stepping back further from that, you know, most people that are, are coming in, they're either golfers that have pain while they golf, or they're people that have these movement deficiencies that just happen to manifest in golf. So yeah, maybe they have pain while they swing, but that probably means they've got something else going on in their body that probably needs to be addressed too. So you'll have a lot of people that will come into your facility and say, yeah, I have pain while I golf, but I know an even bigger population that they just come in for generalized low back pain and, oh, I just happen to be a golfer too. Ultimately, you should address it the same way. If they're having an issue while they're playing golf, you should clean that up anyways. If they have thoracic spine dysfunction, I mean, you should get after that. If they have spine dis- or hip dysfunction, you should get after it. So it doesn't have to be from a performance standpoint of making them better at hitting a little white ball into a hole and then probably cursing along the way, as we've discovered. <laughs> but, you know, it's just giving them the ability to move again. Right. And it's going to manifest in other ways. And it might not even be swing related. It might be, um, you know, man, my low back hurts just from all that walking on the golf course. My foot just doesn't like all the elevation changes and the side angles and getting in and out of the cart. Again, it could be a life issue that's just manifesting itself through the game of golf. Yeah, I think that's that's something great for, for again, our listeners to reflect on is, you know, probably a lot of the people that I see now are the second example that Brian alluded to where I have low back pain and I have low back pain in activities of daily living. Mm -hmm. And oh yeah, I also have low back pain when I play golf. Right. So, and, and for a lot of you guys out there that are, that are treating in an outpatient orthopedic setting, you are probably experiencing those things more Mm -hmm. frequently than, oh yeah, I'm coming to see you because it hurts when I play golf. Right. And that's the only time it hurts. Those people are probably popping Tylenol and ibuprofen and maybe some some liquid medicine to help <laughs> them forget about that low back pain so they can go out and, and spend four hours in the sunshine with right. their buddies, right? Um, so, you know, Brian, I kind of want to go to some other components of, of movement that are related to different positions in the golf swing for for our therapists and, and for any of our listeners to just have a little bit more comfort with of what they should be looking for at the different phases. You know, yeah. so we talked about backswing. I think it would be important to talk about what it looks like at an impact zone and then at follow through um, because you're going to see different things and then you could ha- attribute those different movement qualities to why somebody is having dysfunctional movements and or pain while playing the game. Yeah, ultimately they're they're going to have an issue in one of those three spots. It's either going to be you know that top of the backswing position, impact, which is right when the club hits the ball, or kind of that mid follow through or even end follow through position where the club changes from accelerating to decelerating. 
And we at the Gray Institute would call that transformational zone. And if you think about it, all of sport or any of activity is a transformational zone where it's anytime the body is changing velocity or changing direction is what we define as a transformational zone. So, you know, a lot of injuries will happen of, oh man, I got to the top of my backswing and I just felt my back go out. Well, that should tell you something about how that body's transmitting load or man, I, I, I hit impact. And right when that ball, that club hit the ground, man, I felt a zing up my arm or I felt it in my left knee or whatever it may be. And then again, that club's moving around your body pretty fast. I mean, for some of us, the, the club at impact is going over hundred miles an hour and you've got to decelerate it and stop it in a split second. So if your body doesn't have the ability to eccentrically control that motion too, it's going to struggle with transmitting the load efficiently through the system. So for me, if, if injuries occur in these zones, I want to make sure I'm looking at my golfer in those zones as well. And it's like we talked about, well, you can get them on the table. You can get some information there, but ultimately getting them on the floor functionally upright and moving in motions that look and feel like golf is probably going to give you most bang for your buck, especially when you're in a, you're on the clock for an eval, right? Um, I I had a particular case study I'll share about, and this really extrapolates beyond just golf. But I was teaching at the 2012 West Michigan Golf Show, and there's a bunch of us teaching professionals there, and we're given those quick 10, 15 minute lessons and man, those grind on you to be honest. But I had a big gentleman come up, you know, he was probably in his early thirties and he had his buddies behind him heckling him with a few beers. And so I looked at his swing and he, he gave a few swings and I said, well, do you have any, do you have any problems when you play golf? Like does, how does your body feel when you play around a golf? He says, man, it feels pretty crummy. Um, my, my, my right low back tends to hurt after I play anything more than nine holes. And then I said, okay. And I said, well, you know, let me, let me look at a few things. Now, Dan, in, in your experience, what do you think most therapists would do if you have a golfer that comes in your clinic and says, I have low back pain? Where's the first place they're going to go? Straight to the lumbar spine. They're probably going to take them through cardinal plane, lumbar spine, active movement slash repeated movement testing. Mm-hmm. Right. And not that that would be inherently wrong because nope. you want to cover your bases and make sure there's no acute, really bad injury there. But let's say that's where you spend all of your time, your heat, your ice, your dry needling, your A-stim, your whatever, they might get a little better. But is that low back the criminal or the victim? Is it the cause or the symptom? So this guy that I had in front of me, remember, I'm not in a clinic setting. I'm just watching him swing a golf club in a big exhibit hall. And I said, I watched his swing and he would kind of stand up in his swing. And it's, you know, we're doing a podcast. You can't really see it, but he would stand up in his swing and then make this aggressive move down at the ball and really compress that right lumbar spine. And so I had the guy, I said, well, can you, can you take your right arm out? And I asked him to essentially show me his external rotation of his right shoulder. So, you know, he starts with his palm facing down and then I have him rotate his arm up. So that way his palm is kind of facing forward. And most of us would want to see what around 90 degrees, maybe yep. a touch more. Yep. This guy had maybe 40. So his arm is can't even get if it were against a wall. He's still kind of pointing down. I said, Whoa. I said, Well, that's uh, you know, it's anything happened to that right shoulder? Oh uh, yeah, old football injury from high school. You know, I never really healed up. And I said, Well, does that shoulder hurt? He says, No, not really. Interesting. Okay. So to me, when I saw him swing, 
If you're really savvy about analyzing the golf swing, you'll realize that at the top of that backswing position, you need about 90 degrees of external rotation in that shoulder. Now, again, that takes a little bit of effort to get to that point, but I noticed that he had limited external rotation in his right shoulder. And from that, he had to compensate through his movement pattern of swinging the golf club. And then by the time he got impact, because of the position he was in, he was adding stress to his lumbar spine more so than he had to do because he has to get the ball going out there somehow. So his low back was hurting, but it wasn't his low back's fault. It was because of the limited motion he had in his right shoulder that was causing him to compensate and put undue stress on that body part. So to me, again, if I'm doing an evaluation in the clinic and I've got somebody with low back pain, yeah, I'll look at the hips, I'll look at the thoracic spine, I'll look at the lumbar spine, but of course I'm going to want to see them swing as long as that doesn't elicit too much pain. But I want to check their feet, I want to check their elbows and hands and shoulders because you can connect that chain any sort of different ways. So, you know, again, we're using it through the lens of golf, but I'm curious how many of our listeners are sitting there thinking, oh, I've got that athlete or I've got that person and have you really checked the full kinetic chain of what's going on there? So, Brian, I think that's a great clinical example um, for some of our listens, listeners to kind of mentally picture. And you mentioned this guy's impact impact position. So you can talk. Can you talk us through a little bit about, about what impact position ideally is happening sure. in the hips and the thoracic spine and in the shoulders at impact position? And then take us all the way up through what that deceleration component that you spoke to and what finished position ideally combined motions are going to be. Sure. So again, we're, we're assuming a right-handed golfer here. And again, for a lefty, it would be flipped. But as I get to that impact position, when you're going to hit the golf ball, your hip should be rotated to the left. And depending on how well you can disassociate your upper body from your lower body, which again is something we should probably be looking at, um, the degrees of that is going to change. But ultimately, your hip should be pointing left of where ultimately they're going. The shoulder should kind of start going left as well. Yeah, everything should be starting to rotate left, but also because the ball's on the ground, my shoulders are going to be now side bent to the right. So complete opposite of what the backswing was. Um, you know, we're talking about hip rotation there too. Well, if everything's rotating left, in order for me to do that, now I need adequate internal rotation of my left hip, but I also need adequate external rotation of my right hip. The whole pelvis moving left is dependent on both of those areas. So I'm looking at both of those hips. I'm looking at how well they can tilt their shoulders. I'm looking at how well they can rotate the shoulders. And then once the club gets past impact position, they should start to stand up a little more. The shoulder tilt kind of goes away until they're a little more of a horizontal position. And they should finish with their hips ideally pointed towards the target on their lead leg, or in this case, the left leg and finishing tall with the club somewhere behind them. And a lot of golfers struggle with that weight shift to their left side. And again, watch any any throwing athlete, whether it's a football quarterback or a baseball pitcher, they don't hang back on their right side all that much. They really plant and throw from that lead leg or their left leg. Golf should be the same way. And again, it's our job to figure out is that a movement deficiency of they have poor internal rotation of the left or maybe a bad ankle on the left that's preventing them from doing that, or is it maybe they just don't have the mechanical knowledge of the golf swing in order to execute that. But ideally, they should be fully weight transferred to the left, pelvis rotating towards the target, 
standing up tall, club somewhere behind them. So just a quick recap and make sure that our our listeners grasp this. So at impact position, you're going to be moving towards a relative left hip internal rotation Mm -hmm. with right hip external rotation. Thoracic spine in left rotation with slight right side bend. Yes. And then in finished position, those are that left, that right thoracic side bend will somewhat reduce as they rotate and and move into a little bit of hip extension slash hip neutral position as they get into that finished position. Absolutely. Um, So I think that, you know, for just a quick recap is we think about how we can um, help those golfers or whether they are seeking us because they play golf and they hurt or they're seeking us because they hurt and they might play golf, taking some time to analyze those positions in backswing, impact, and follow through while they're in golf posture with probably a club in their hand and pausing in each of those positions would be a great place for us as physical therapists and movement specialists to start to care for those individuals and start to prepare their bodies over a a period of time when they're not playing a Mm -hmm. lot so that when the nicer months come in the rest of the country and most normal Arizona golfers Mm -hmm. play when everybody else plays because it's not as busy and it's a lot more affordable, their bodies are ready to play the game. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, I I think we've we've probably piqued some interest for some of our listeners Mm -hmm. on where some additional opportunities are to learn more about golf, golf performance, golf movement, analyzation. Um, you already kind of mentioned TPI, which Titleist, which is the Titleist Performance Institute, which both of us have gone through. Mm-hmm. Um, can you just compare and contrast that to what the Gray Institute has done now with the assistance of Dave Tiberio and Jonathan Moore, creating the Functional Golf Certification and Specialist Track? Yeah, so... Uh, those guys at the Grain Suit have put their minds together along with a lot of other minds in the applied functional science world and come up with what's called the Functional Golf Performance Certification. And it's a way of analyzing the body, but also treating and training the body. And again, more of those functional patterns and, and functional ways. Uh, again, we can have another podcast on on TPI's model versus other models out there, but you know, we can agree that there are some good components of TPI that they do some things that are functional. And, you know, there are some tests that they do that maybe you and I kind of scratch our heads at and say, well, why, why are we doing this? And does this really look and feel like golf? But with the functional performance system, I, I really like it because the movements of the analysis, but also the exercises inherently look and feel like golf. If you're conducting an evaluation of a golfer, I would hope that an innocent bystander or a colleague walking by should say, Hmm. It looks like you're evaluating that person for golf. It should be completely different than your football player's evaluation versus your post-op knees evaluation. So it's a way that they will teach you to go through those transformational zones, teach you on what you should be looking for at the backswing, at impact, at follow-through, but then also what do you do with it? What do you do about it? Well, how do we do some things from a mobility standpoint? How do we do some things from a stability standpoint? How do we do golf endurance? How do we do golf cardio? How do we do golf recovery? How many of us actually think about taking care of our bodies after the round? We usually take care of our thirst after yep, the round. That's very, that's very true. But 
how many of us are actually taking time to take care of our bodies after the round? Huge. Different ball game. Yeah, and I, and I, you know to kind of coincide with what you're saying there, you know, I think Titleist does a great job of helping the non-golfer and golf teaching professional understand common golf swing flaws. Yeah. So that you can have an educated and common language discussion with the golf pro. Yeah. So I think that the Titleist track is very valuable. Um, it's very well respected. It um, it was a good foundation for me personally, but I can honestly say that after going through functional golf performance and that my body felt better mm-hmm. going through those sequence of movements and I was able to start to say, you know what, and blend it with the information and knowledge I'd gained from Titleist Performance to say, oh, I know why my back hurts because I do this, but it's due to this body limitation. Yeah. And that was some of the aha moments that some of the teaching professionals had in our functional golf class who have really minimal, potentially minimal knowledge of how the human body works, but they have a ton of knowledge about the golf swing. And you could see some moments in those individuals where they're like, oh my gosh, no wonder that client that I have is always complaining of right low back pain. It has nothing to do with where their club is at impact position. It's because in their backswing, they don't have enough blank. Right. And therefore, they're doing something abnormal 40 to 60 times, depending on the quality of the player, plus warm up. And no wonder their back hurts. It oh. had nothing to do with them in their teaching ability. It had right. to do with the the client's body ability. Yeah, and and I, you hit on a good point of working with teaching professionals. And you know, there's a population of golfers that you will work with that maybe do have a swing coach or somebody that they're working with, but the vast majority of them are not. But you know, that's where kind of the lines can sometimes get blurred. Of well, what can I tell them and what can I tell them? And it depends on your level of golf expertise. But my analogy is is somebody that is working on their golf swing or their golf game, whether it's themselves or whether it's they're working with a teaching professional, they're kind of like a, an artist, a sculptor, someone who's chiseling something out of clay. They're trying to mold their swing into something beautiful, something better. It's not our job to sit there and direct where they should be putting the chisel. It's our job to help make that clay a little more malleable so they can, oh, well, I need to stretch this here. I want to get this there. I want to shape it here. It's not our job to dictate what the sculpture looks like. It's our job to make sure the clay is as malleable as possible. So if you are having that relationship with a teaching professional, that's kind of where you should approaching it from. But even if you're working with an individual that really isn't, well, maybe there's not a sculptor in play, but let's get this clay a little more malleable to move, period. Let's get it so that it can absorb load and and look good and function well. So that way when they do play golf, they're playing better. So there's an inherent kind of separation of of responsibilities and powers there. But like you said, you got to be able to speak the language and understand what they're coming from when they say, yeah, you know what? When I hit that pull slice on the 14th hole, that's when I really felt my back. Well, you got to kind of know what motions and positions are going to hit a pull slice or, oh, I'm swinging over the top. Uh, 
somebody that's just walking on the street probably doesn't know what over the top means, but if you speak some of that golf language, you understand what I was hanging back, I was flipping at it, I was this and that. There's kind of a language to golf. And you're right, TPI will give you a good foundation to that. But I think, you know, when we both did TPI, it both left us hungry for a little more. We correct, felt like they were correct, just correct. missing a little bit more. And that's why I feel the functional uh, golf performance certification fills a lot of those voids. And like you said, I felt better after that too. Whereas yeah. TPI kind of puts things in individual pieces. This puts it all together. But I don't think you can fault anybody for going one route or the other. They have their pros and cons. Yeah. You know, and I think, you know, you and I have had some some conversations offline around this topic where, you know, there's some people who are going to gravitate more towards the performance side and realize that they're lacking in golf knowledge. Yeah. And then there's going to be the vice versa. And I think that both of those those schools of thought out there currently with, with Titleist Performance and, and then Functional Golf, those two things can be blended and applied very, very well in unison to help fill the voids on of your individual needs. Um, you know, I, I just want to reiterate with our golfers and, and our listeners that really what we, we talked about today is, is understanding movement at a different level. I think if I reflect back on the podcast that we've done, um, you know, you can con- connect this into the burnout podcast that we did with Jen Lee and Tori Foster, where we talked about the 10 observational essentials and utilizing those observational essentials to better analyze and meet the needs of your patient slash client. This conversation here today is exactly the same, right? It's about having a better understanding of movement and analyzing that movement in the position that this individual, you know, is requesting you to analyze them. And they come in and say, play golf, and you don't analyze them in a golf posture. They might start to question, am I in the right place? So, you know, I just want to take a quick moment, thank Brian for his knowledge and expertise. Um, I look forward to a few additional podcasts kind of debating and discussing some of those different training programs related to endurance and strength and and, and really recovery. Um, hopefully, uh, we'll get some good feedback from our listeners on, on this podcast related to, you know, I, I'd really like to know more about the training and the recovery and the power and the endurance components related to golf, because that is very important. I mean, a lot of those mm-hmm. golfers are out there for, you know, four plus hours. Um, you know, as we kind of alluded to in our intro, there's a lot of people that use golf as a four letter word and, and, and they say that, right. And we kind of said, well, you know, we want to change that into a three letter word. Hopefully by you <clears throat> looking at those golfers a little bit more specifically with that, that, that pelvis moment, relative to the femur. So looking at hip motion and that thoracic spine motion, you'll be able to help unlock some new movement potential and turn the game into being fun, right? And and we know when we have fun and we're smile and we laugh, that's going to get us back out there. Um, and if our bodies feel better and are prepared to handle that movement with greater success, that's going to lead to more fun overall. So Brian, thanks for joining us. I, I really appreciate it. Thank you, Dan. Looking forward to another one. So as always, if you have any questions, comments, feedback, please do not hesitate to reach out to us at therapistinmotion at spoonerpt.com.